All right, welcome back to the Moving Iron Podcast. Uh, now in this segment, my guest is Sean Skaggs of Livingston Machinery. And uh, I wanted to get Sean on to uh, kind of talk about what he sees happening in the hay market down in uh, Oklahoma, the wheat conditions and stuff like that. So, Sean, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Casey. I'm glad to be here. So before we get started, I always like to get a little background on everybody that we have on here. So tell me a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Livingston Machinery. Sure. Well, like Casey said, I'm uh, Sean Skaggs. Uh, I'm the president and chief operating officer at Livingston Machinery Company. Uh, I've been there for about uh, 17 years and started in walk-in sales and kind of worked my way through the business and been in almost every position we've got, it seems like, throughout the years. But uh, uh, I've only been in the president's position for about two years, so kind of got to thrown into the fire right in the middle of it but uh, but it's been fun uh, it's been a lot of work and it's 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 been uh, a good thing overall we've uh, we've gotten a lot better at what we do during this uh, kind of a downturn and uh, you know we, we're trying to take all the the good things that we can glean out of it and carry that over as we move back into the good times hopefully but uh, we've got four dealerships in western Oklahoma and west Texas we've got Dealerships in Chickasha, Oklahoma, and Fairview, Oklahoma, and then in Muleshoe, Texas, and Dalhart, Texas. So kind of the Texas panhandle, and then the western side of the state of Oklahoma is kind of what we cover. Okay. And you're known for being uh, big baler country. So you have a lot of big balers down there, and you guys deal with the uh, with the Agco line of big balers and, and tractors and stuff. So... Let's talk a little bit about uh, about the baler market, which you see happening out there, and then let's talk a little bit about the overall hay market and with the drought situation that you're all in down there. Sure. Well, like you said, uh, you know, big balers has been a big part of what we do for a long time. Um, we were traditionally known as, as Big Baler USA. That was our website for a long time. And so big balers was kind of what got our foot into the door in all the markets that we're in right now because we were willing to go and, and uh, you know, have uh, technicians that were trained on big bailers and carry the parts for big bailers and, and do whatever it took to keep those those big square bailers running back whenever that was a big risk out there and a lot of dealers weren't willing to do that. So that's kind of how we got into the market and commercial hay is still you know our biggest mainstay that we have. Um, and so you know the hay market is something that we follow really closely um, and it's uh, something that uh, has had its ups and downs but right now you know, the, the market seems to be changing a lot because we've got so much drought that's going on in western Oklahoma and in western Texas, in New Mexico, in parts of southern Colorado and southwest Kansas. Um, with that drought, uh, in addition to kind of a, a long, hard winter, you know, hay stores are starting to run low finally, and uh, that's been driving up the price of hay. And so as that hay price comes up, it, it obviously changes what we're able to sell and changes our sales mix a little bit. And so we, like I said, we keep a, a very close eye on that. Um, one of the things that we saw was as we came out of that drought at the end of 2011, 2012, somewhere in there, um, you know, hay prices came back down. Uh, our big biter sales started coming back down. Uh, so Windrover stayed fairly steady. All through that, but the big butter sales definitely came down quite a bit, um, and our small square butters actually started. We started selling more of those because as those hay prices came down, our producers realized that they were able to get a lot more money for their hay out of that smaller package, 
And so kind of transmitter, we look back historically, we've seen that as pay prices go down, small square better sales go up, big square better sales go down. And then vice versa, as now that pay prices are going up, and we're seeing hay prices as high as $320, $330 a ton out in the panhandle of, of Texas, um, our big square better sales are coming back up, and we expect to see those small square better sales come back down. Yeah. So of the uh, of the crop mix that you have, t- talk to me about crop mix and, and, and what is the, the dominating the crop in your area? Well, actually, we've, we're, we're, we've got a pretty broad mix. So in western Oklahoma, wheat is the, you know, the biggest crop that's out there, wheat and cattle. You know, if you consider that a crop, uh, wheat and cattle are the mainstays for our producers in, in western Oklahoma. Um, and then, you know, another big driving force in our markets is the oil and natural gas industry. Uh, because as those, you know, most of our producers own a lot of land, and that land can earn them royalties or damages, things like that. And that's actually one of the things that we've helped, has helped us see a little bit of a boost lately is there's been a lot of oil and, and gas activity in western Oklahoma especially. And so that has started to drive, it drove a lot of our end-of-the-year sales especially. Um, but uh, as we move into the panhandle of Texas, then all of a sudden you get into cotton country down in the southern part of the panhandle. And so and cotton has actually moved all the way back into western Oklahoma. It was there back in the 70s, and most of the cotton went away. And uh, here in the last two or three years, because cotton prices have, have been good, a lot of people have moved back into cotton, taking their wheat out, taking their alfalfa out, um, or whatever else they might have had planted and put in cotton. So we've seen a lot of cotton kind of everywhere in our market, um, even as far north as you know, the northern part of, the, of Oklahoma and the northern part of the Texas Panhandle. Uh, but, uh, you know, typically... It's that cotton country traditionally, I guess you'd say, has been down in the Lubbock area and probably the surrounding 100 miles or so. And then there's a, a pretty big pocket of it down in the far southwest part of, of Oklahoma as well. And then uh, whenever you get up into the northern part of the panhandle, that's traditionally been a lot of corn and, and a lot of hay as well. And that's you know one of the reasons that we opened a store up in Dalhart, Texas back in 2016 was because we traditionally sold a lot of big square bailers and a lot of self-windrowers up there, even though it was a pretty good distance away from our other stores. Um, but as, you know, about the same time that we moved up there, they actually changed that uh, up a little bit because the dairies that are in that area went from feeding dry hay to feeding wet hay. And so they're, now they're chopping all that. And so we're still able to sell windrowers up there, but haven't actually sold very many big square baiters up there because they've made that big shift away from dry hay. And that's affected our you know, big square baiter market as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we kind of expect that to come back as it stayed so dry for so long now. I think a lot of uh, that corn is probably going to get bailed this summer. Uh, they, that's typically what's happened whenever we went into drought situations. They bailed a lot of corn stocks. Um, and that usually helps us to kind of clean out some of our old inventory as well, the, the I shouldn't say old inventory, probably our, our higher bailed inventory. So big square bailers that might have 30, 40, 50,000 bales on them will still go ahead and move whenever we get into that type of scenario because people will want something that can handle a lot of capacity whenever they go and start bailing those corn stocks up. And I think that you know, with corn prices being as low as what they are and hay prices being as high as what they are and, and people being desperate to feed cattle, I think uh, we'll probably see a lot of corn stocks get better. Drought situation, 
a lot of different things going on. I've been reading a lot of articles, been talking to a lot of guys that I, that I know from, you know, down in Kansas, Oklahoma area, and um, a lot of the wheat that they planted didn't come up. I won't say a lot, but, you know, sometimes that might get exaggerated in the stories that I get told. But um, a good percentage of the wheat, the wheat that got planted didn't come up, and so that's affecting a lot of guys for their uh, winter grazing programs, putting that their cattle out on the wheat. So kind of how's that affected your hay business, and how's that affected your uh, your outlook as far as hay equipment sales go? Well, one of the biggest effects it's had, and it's mostly in the northwestern part of Oklahoma and the northern part of the panhandle up there, uh, where they've been in you know, really extreme drought situations. Uh, they, they either didn't have their wheat come up or it came up and got about two inches high and then just turned brown. And so uh, in those situations, normally down in our part of the country, we winter all of our cattle on wheat. I mean, that's one of the main reasons that everybody plants wheat is because you can winter the cattle on it and then still pull cattle off in March typically and be able to go ahead and harvest a crop off there in June. Um, but this winter, they haven't been able to really winter cattle on it hadn't had enough of a stand for it to be able to substan- or, uh, to take that. And so they've had to feed hay all winter long. We actually had a, a huge supply of hay going into this winter. Uh, after we went through those drought years a few years ago and came back out of that, all of our producers went into this mode of storing extra hay. And they usually had about at least two years worth of hay sitting in the barn or out in the lots um, ready to feed the cattle. And there was a lot of it was, was still old hay, but they were keeping at least an extra year's worth of hay on hand. But this winter, between the hay that got donated whenever we had the wildfires up in the panhandle of Oklahoma, the northern part of the Texas panhandle, uh, and in southern Colorado, those wildfires uh, prompted a lot of people to go ahead and donate hay because they knew they had extra hay. And so a lot of that hay got donated up in those areas, and that cleaned a little bit of the old hay out. And then going through this winter the way that we have and, and more grazing than what they've had this winter on wheat, uh, they've just fed up all those hay stores. Um, I've talked to multiple producers over the last few weeks that have all said, man, you know, hay prices are really good. I'd really like to sell some hay, but I'm scared to death to sell anything that I've got. I think I'm just going to take everything I've got just to get through this winter. Yeah. And as dry as it is now, and no more than we've seen our grass start to come on here. A lot of them are afraid that they're going to keep feeding that hay, you know, through, through April possibly. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, typically in April we've got grass by then. We can turn cows back. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, overall outlook for the hay market then sounds like it's going to be a pretty good deal for you guys. Yeah, I think it'll be a good thing. I mean, obviously we'll have to have enough rain that we can actually produce right. crops. Yeah, that's absolutely. Be helpful. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's that's what I think a lot of people are going to focus on this summer. A lot of the things that the rotational crops, you know, they're probably going to try and bale up their, their wheat if they've got some enough wheat that they can bale it. Mm-hmm. They're probably going to bale up some corn stalks. And as soon as they can get any of that stuff off, they're going to be going back in, I would think, with some kind of hay grazer or something like that where they can get a, a crop up quick and, and try and get a lot of, of it. Um, so, and that... You know, whenever that happens, that usually drives a lot of hay equipment sales. People yeah. really it's off of price than it does necessarily the, the volume they're able to produce. Right, right. Okay, so the weather patterns here of late for you guys. I mean, um, I'm from around Wichita, Kansas, so I mean, I'm, I'm kind of familiar with what winters are like down there. Sometimes you get a cold snap and you'll get 
couple weeks of 50 plus degree weather in in uh february and then you'll get some cold to come back through and but you haven't it's been pretty mild winter for you for most of that area so you've seen something similar where you're at where temperatures have been fairly warm and and there's not much humidity not much moisture in there yeah that's exactly right it's been actually you know relatively warm this winter um, normally we get at least a couple of ice storms that will come through and knock the power out for a few right. days and things like that but there's been no ice storms this winter we just right. haven't got precipitation at all mm-hmm. um, you know there in the central part of the state a few weeks ago we got some rain um, that was you know really helped a lot of those areas kind of down that i-35 corridor um, but if you get very far west of there they're all in severe to extreme drought now and so uh, and, and as I was looking at uh, some information this afternoon on kind of the expected weather patterns for this summer, they're not predicting it to be uh, a wet summer by any means. They think it's going to continue to be dry and yeah. probably going to have higher than average temperatures. And so it's going to continue to drive those hay prices up. It's going to continue to make things hard on cattle producers. Um, you know, and another thing that affects our hay prices a lot is uh, milk price. And milk price hasn't exactly been great lately, and so uh, so it's going to be interesting to see kind of how that plays into it. Usually as milk prices go up, you know, our hay prices will go up a little bit as well. So that's been kind of a, a side factor right now with this drought. The drought kind of takes precedent over everything as far as driving the price. But even if we get a little bit of rain, it'll be interesting to see how milk prices affect that. Right, so the diversity that you have across your AR, across your area that you, that you cover, um, you talked about corn, you talked about cattle, you talked about wheat, oil and gas, all that stuff. So how are your, how are your customers shaping up, um, and handling what's, what's happening with them now? And what are you doing to, uh, keep in front of your customers and, and keep things, uh, to the best of your ability, you know, keep, keep equipment moving? Well, um, you know, as far as how they're shaping up, it, it dep- really depends on where they're at. Um, you know, like I said earlier, um, at the end of the year, we had a lot of uh, customers who had gotten either pipeline damages or you know, some new royalties or oil well damages, things like that. And that's spurred a lot of sales for us. We actually had a really good year end. Um, but uh, overall, as far as their actual production, you know, they're still in the same shape as most of the country is where we're not making a lot of money and, unless they happen to have some really good cotton. And the good cotton was only in pockets because, uh, you know, cotton is such a funny crop. If you get the right rains at the right times, then you can produce some really high-quality cotton. And if you don't get the right rain at the right time, you can produce a lot of cotton, but it's really low-quality cotton. Okay. And so depending on what pockets you were in, you they all had a lot of cotton. And there were good prices out there for the premium cotton. But depending on where what pockets you were in, depending, you know, that determined whether you had really high-quality cotton or low-enough-quality cotton that you had to worry about it just spontaneously combusting out in the field. And we actually had a lot of that happening out there in the Texas Panhandle as well. They just caught on fire by themselves? Yeah, they would, as soon as they would get it put into a a bale or a module, um, you know, they'd leave it sitting out there for a week, and all of a sudden that module just catches fire. No kidding. burns up on the spot. (laughs) Wow. So it was, was kind of like one of those you can't win for losing right. type situations yeah. for a lot of those guys. Yeah. Um, but the guys who had really high quality cotton, they you know they made a big crop. Um, mm-hmm. They are, 
have gotten and are getting some good checks. They're still generating a lot of that cotton right now because we're so much more produced than what there normally is in our part of the world. Um, and so I, I think that a lot of our producers are going to stick with cotton, and a lot of them are, are still making the switch over to adding more acres of cotton right now. And so that drives a lot of cotton equipment sales, which we, we don't actually have much in the way of cotton equipment to sell. We can sell the tractors and the tillage equipment, but that's about as far as it goes for us. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's, it's been interesting to watch, but, you know, farmers will typically kind of chase price a little bit. And that's what we're seeing here is as the cotton prices are going up, a lot of guys are putting in a lot of cotton acres. Um, but it's very likely that if that cotton price starts to come back down in a couple of years or if the farm bill comes out and it's not exactly what they're expecting, then we could see a lot of those acres shift back over to something else. And I really expect to see a lot of acres over the next couple of years shift back into alfalfa because we had a lot of alfalfa acres that were taken out. Um, but alfalfa is one of the few crops that they can grow where they can actually set their own price. Right. It's not a taker market. They can say, hey, I've got really high-quality alfalfa. I'm going to ask the top price, or I've got medium-quality alfalfa. I can ask this price, whereas everything else, you just take whatever the market is that day. Right, so. yeah, yeah. So you're a full-line Agco dealer. Um, run through the – I mean, Agco has a, has a million different products that they that is under the uh, Agco umbrella. So run through the, the products that you, that you, uh, that you offer and, and what – what do you feel are your are your strongest sellers? Well, uh, we're a full-line Agco dealer, so all of those millions of things you're talking about, we carry some of all of it, it right. seems like. Okay. Um, as far as combines go, we focus on Gleaner, mm-hmm. and that's been our combine line, but we carry Fent tractors, Challenger tractors, Massey Ferguson tractors, White planters. Um, we sell a lot of Sunflower tillage equipment, a lot of Sunflower grain drills, um, and then, obviously, all of the Heston hay products have been, uh, you know, a really big seller for us. Um, but our big, you know, the, the big sellers in, for us in particular are really the Heston hay products, um, the Sunflower tillage tools, and Fent tractors. We sell a lot of Challenger, and, and you know, we just got the Challenger contract back at the beginning of 16. And so that's been kind of new for us. We're still kind of growing a lot of that, but uh, the be able to add the, the track tractors and the Challenger articulated tractors to our line has been pretty big deal for us and so that's a, a really growing part of our business as well as application we weren't uh, an application dealer before that now we have rogator interrogator and so that's been a really big addition for us and we're that's kind of a different business than what we had been in and so there's a steep learning curve there that we have we're having to adapt to yeah. to get into that application business but i think we're getting there it's been like i said it's been a really nice addition for our business yeah so how's the uh how's the track tractor you know, kind of learning that that into the business and and that that niche of that marketplace. How's that? How have you guys gone about doing that? Um, well, we were fortunate enough we were able to pull in some. You know, we had bought out uh, Warren Katz Ag Division back at the beginning of sixteen, and that's how we got the challenge line. So we were fortunate enough that we were able to retain um, some of their uh, people that had a lot of product knowledge on that already, mm-hmm. and so that helped to have some product knowledge built in. And then Agco's given us a lot of support. In training the rest of our people, getting them up to speed, giving us some really good product specialists that are kind of focused on those tractors. Um, but that's some place where I think really our market has a lot of potential still. We still have a lot of people who are running articulated tractors out there and, and running it in sandy ground, in ground where there's no doubt a track tractor would be a better fit for them. You know, in, in the kind of the rolling hills and the terrace ground, 
it may not be as good a fit as an articulated tractor is, but uh, out there in that sandy stuff, you know, a tractor machine would make them a lot more efficient than they are right now. Yeah. So there's a lot of people who still don't know that because they've just never tried it. Yeah. And so I think we've still got a lot of growth potential with the tractor. Yeah. I'm a big fan of track tractors, so I think there's a, it's one of those, until you get into one and really try it and have someone really explain to you how it works and, and all the stuff, all the uh, different aspects of what a track machine can do for you compared to a wheel machine. Um, yeah, that's been one of those machines uh, where you really love to do demos because if you can ever get a guy to get in the seat and hook onto a tool that he's used to pulling with his articulated tractor or maybe even his big row crop tractor and you put it behind that track machine and let him go pull it for a few hours and it's you'll have a hard time getting him back out of the seat yeah. because he, he can just feel and see the difference immediately out there. Yeah. And the old adage of, you know, Track machines are so much more expensive to maintain than their wheeled ones are, and that's kind of out the door now with the price of tires the way they are. It's pretty much about the same. There's not a big difference between upkeep on a undercarriage and tracks and stuff like that on a track machine compared to a buying, depending on how many you have. You, know, you could have 8 to 12 tires on a on an articulated machine, so just depending on what you got. So um, there's a that argument's kind of out the window anymore. All right, so looking out here, first quarter's kind of gone through, heading into spring. You have some pretty big hurdles in front of you when you start looking at just overall weather conditions. Looks like there could be some good opportunity for some some revenue generation there just based on, um, you know, if you get the rains in the right area and you get some hay to come up, there should be some good opportunities for you. So looking out through, uh, you know, through the summer, what do you see as some of your big opportunities that you have down in, down in uh, your area? Well, I mean, one of the big opportunities for us is you know, we haven't traditionally been a big planter dealer, but with all the cotton acres that have gone in recently and, and all the cotton acres that are going to be going in over the next year, we feel like we've got a big opportunity with planters, especially, uh, you know, with Agco's acquisition of precision planting. Um, you know, there's not traditionally been a lot of precision planting pushed down in our area, and uh, we've just recently become a precision planting dealer, and so with the precision precision planting addition and uh, being able to get those white planters with the precision products on it from the factory. Um, we feel like we've got a lot of opportunity there and we've got a lot of customers that are really interested in that. But they've just never known who to talk to or, or how to find the right information around them. And so I think, you know, with all those cotton acres, that's going to be probably a big opportunity for us. Um, you know, the other big opportunity obviously is the hay market. Uh, as it stays dry and those hay prices continue to go up, um, it's going to be a good opportunity for us on big square balers, uh, on sucker belt wind rollers, a lot of those type of things. Um, you know, um, we've got some other, well, I guess some, some other new products that are going to be coming down the pike soon that I think are a big opportunity for us. And, and again, like I said earlier, we're new to the application business. And so we're just learning that and just kind of getting our feet wet. And we're, fun, you know, that's a, a huge, huge market uh, out there for us uh, that we weren't really touching two years ago. And we're still just barely touching now. And so we've got a lot of opportunity to go and grow in the application market right now. ICO's uh, got some new products out in the C series in the uh, Rogators, Interrogators uh, that have got some people excited. and and that I think will give us some opportunities as we go down through there. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm still as excited as anything about is 
as this hay market kind of pops for us again, it's going to give us an opportunity to clean out a lot of our used inventory mm -hmm. uh, because we've still got, we're like a lot of dealers out there, we've got a lot of, of inventory that sat there for a year or sometimes even two years that were good machines, we weren't willing to take the hickeys right up front on them and then we, we've kind of sat on them and waited and so uh, I'll, I'll be excited if we can get rid of a lot of that inventory and, and get that level back down to where we really want it to be turnover at the right level. Yep. So it's an important part of the business. Inventory turn and, and uh, you know, washout cycles and all those things are so uh, so important and pivotal to running a, a, a good used equipment department. Okay. So you can't have any uh, you can't have any good without a little bit of bad. So what are some of the what are some of the overwhelming hurdles you see in front of you that you're trying to figure your way through? Well obviously one of the biggest overwhelming hurdles is gonna be the drought talked about that a lot I know um, but uh, you know we've got a lot of a lot of things that are happening in Oklahoma right now our business is actually even though we're only just a couple months into it so you can't really measure it in that short period of time but we're up about 20% year over year so far with a lot of the good things that are happening in western Oklahoma but out in the panhandle they're up they're actually overall down out there because a lot of producers even though they see that opportunity there without the rain coming in they're kind of sitting on their hands. They're waiting to see what's going to happen before they go ahead and spend that money. You can't blame them for doing that. They don't know what's coming down the pike. They don't know if they're even going to have a crop this summer. And so they're, they're kind of in that wait-and-see mode. And so a lot of it's going to depend on whether we get some rain or not to whether we can get around that and get that western Texas market kind of up and firing again uh, like it was the last several years. But... Uh, so that's going to be a big challenge for us. Um, I'm sitting here trying to think of what our other really big challenges are, and we've got some things, some hurdles internally that we've got to, to get over to, to make sure that we get the people trained and make sure that we're covering a big enough area because, you know, as you can imagine, with only four stores trying to cover western Oklahoma and west Texas, and that's bigger, you know, that, that geographic area there is probably bigger than, about any two states you can put together yeah. outside of that yeah. and uh, we're trying to cover that with four stores that's a big challenge for us yeah. it's something that we've done for a really long time but uh, haven't necessarily been had our, our feet held to the fire for market share the way that we are now mm -hmm. and so uh, that's something that we're seeing a lot more from manufacturers as they're talking a lot more about market share trying to put some accountability in there and so um you know, that's that's going to be a big challenge for us is to try and figure out how do we cover all that area out of four stores because we're not really ready to go out and add a lot of stores right now. We want to get, make sure that we've got our feet firmly under us before we do any more additions. Uh, but uh, well, that's going to be a big challenge for us. How do we service somebody, which, like I said, we've done it traditionally, but how do we add more customers to what we've got right now and still be able to service those guys that are 150, 200 miles away from our nearest location? Yeah. So as with the expansion or with the expanse of your um, of your area, you foresee maybe looking at adding some a few locations just to cover sometime down the road just to kind of cover that space, make it maybe not as uh, like you said a couple hundred miles away from your nearest location. Yeah, and we're we're toying with a lot of different ideas and kind of a lot of different models. That's one of the, the interesting things. There's some things about uh, I don't know what you would call it, but I guess a little bit. Uh, thinner model where you have 
maybe one store manager that's covering three or four stores, or maybe you have it siloed where you've got a sales manager that covers a, a state and a sales manager that covers another state, the same with parts managers and service managers. There's a lot of people that do that so that they can kind of have those smaller locations in between. Um, and we've always traditionally liked to have this setup where you have a store manager in each store, a service manager in each store. The very traditional setup, um, which probably isn't as efficient from a money standpoint, but it sure does help things to run smoother in the meantime. And I know that our customers really like being able to walk into a store and know exactly where the buck stops um, and be able to talk to the person that's in charge of that store. And so that's one of the things we've grappled with is how do we do that? How do we expand and be able to go in some of these areas where maybe it's not going to be easy for us to, to make money at it right away, but go in on a smaller scale without having to add all those different layers of management whenever we go in there and do that. Right. Uh, that's yeah. an interesting challenge, and, and I know there's a lot of dealers out there that have tried it a lot of different ways, and some of them are probably really successful at it, some of them probably weren't. Uh, and I probably need to do a lot more research to find out what the guys who were successful at it did and kind of how they did that, you know, working with similar product lines to what we have. Yeah, and that's a good thing about this, this industry too is that it's pretty easy to go get, run somebody down and get their get their point of view on what they're doing. Everyone's pretty open to help and exchange ideas. You know, that is you're right. That's that's one of the great things about this industry is most of the time you can ask people questions and, and they'll answer. There's not anybody who's out there trying to guard their corporate secrets or whatever and and, uh, and try and hoard a lot of information. We're we're really good about sharing information and uh, trying to help each other out. That's yeah. about the ag industry. But, that is true that is true well sean i think we've covered it here do you have any uh final thoughts or anything you want to throw out there before we shut it down um no not really uh just enjoy the podcast to keep doing what you're doing um keep helping to spread more of that information and uh, hopefully we all get better at this and and are able to do a better job for our customers and uh, for our employees as well all right well, Sean, thanks for being on the podcast. You bet. Thanks, Casey. All right. Take care of yourself.